Thanks, guys. That was good. I always appreciate when families do things like that. Good little girl. I'll tell you what, that's a good job. Good job. Good job. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs today. As you should be well aware of, hopefully not sick of, we have been uh, coming through the book of Proverbs verse by verse. We're still not really into the Proverbs yet because that doesn't start to chapter 8, but uh, all of the first seven chapters are basically an introduction uh, telling us that we as, as God's Son have to get wisdom, discretion, and understanding before we can even get anything out of the rest of the book. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a good study for me. I've certainly enjoyed it. Last week we saw in chapter 5, we were in verses 15 through 19, we saw the key to keeping uh, the first love of your life. And the first love of your life is going to be your relationship with the Word of God uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about, if you remember, how it laid out the concept of, of a well. And that we know now is your personal responsibility and your personal relationship that you have with the Lord. What you and God have going together that's just between you and Him. We talked about the concept of, a, of the water of the well going into a cistern. And a cistern, we told you last week, is a place that you store water. And so the water now is stored up. You know, it's a picture of you getting the Word of God and keeping it and holding on to it for the times in your life that it becomes those dry spots in, in life that, you know, you need to have what God has for you. Then it talked about the concept of, of fountains, of of uh, of spiritual truth bursting forth. And we talked about that, the, how that's a picture of the water you have in your life and your relationship and your marriage uh, going out into the fountains with, with young people in your, in your own life, your family, and uh, families ministering together and coming forth out of your family. And then it laid out the concept of running water. And we talked about how that, that's a picture of never, never getting stagnant in your life. And uh, stagnant water uh, is always turns into a cesspool, a very bad, uh, you know, breeds all kinds of diseases and all kinds of uh, problems. And just like a Christian's life, flowing water is the cleanest, purest water uh, that you get. Believe it or not, when a water flows down through a brook up in Colorado or Montana or Wyoming, wherever you go up in the mountains, it's actually the rocks that purify the water to keep it from getting all the stuff in it and how true that is in your life and my life as the water of the Word of God uh, in your life and the rock of God in your life purifying everything that uh, you get. So we talked about all that. We also, in that passage, we got the great truth of how God takes care of us, uh, how He takes care of our families, how all that we have uh, and all that we do, that God always has uh, a hand in our life. I think the hand of God in our life and our recognize it and being thankful for Him and all that He does in our lives is probably one of the most neglected things uh, in our life. We talked last week how that God, uh, where He brought us all from, the people that He's put in your life, the church that He's given you, the Word of God that He's provided for you, all of the friends that you have that will stay with you and go through things with you that the world uh, would never do. And God has put all these in our life to help us get us where we're at today. Now, we've been talking about this doctrinally. And we've been laying this out how that it's all a picture uh, of uh, how it applies to the nation of Israel. 
And I, I told you, you know, when you study the nation of Israel uh, and you watch how go through those five stages of the formulation, the calling out, and all of the things that God done, has done with them, you can see the hand of God in everything that they did. Uh, and whatever God, wherever they went, God was with them. And I think it's a great example that is an encouragement to us uh, under the concept of God's son. Now, I know that Israel is God's son as a corporate nation. I know that. I know there were no individual sons of God in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 4 makes it very clear that Israel as a nation, a corporate nation, was likened to God's son. But you and I in the New Testament, because of the spiritual new birth and the kingdom of God that you and I were born into, theirs was the kingdom of heaven, we know that we are, we are God's son. We are as individuals the sons of God. We've talked about it on our Thursday night as we have come through those seven pillars and all the things that they did. And when I look at Israel and all that God did for them, uh, it's always been an encouragement to me. I look in the book of Exodus and I see how that, uh, that Israel was floundering down in Egypt. And what a picture that is. Uh, Egypt's a type of the world. What a picture that is of, of how that uh, you and I struggled before we were saved with the world. How the world, like they did Israel, had put us under bondage. That we struggled with everything that went on in our lives and how God, uh, you know, heard our cry. And how God, with the nation of Israel, he sent them a deliverer, Moses. Moses is one of the greatest types of Christ anywhere in the Bible. He sent them a deliverer. And he brought them out of Egypt by the blood put on the door. A picture of, of the day that you and I got saved. And just like after they went out of Egypt through the blood and God took them out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness of sin. It's a picture of your life and my life after we're saved. The wilderness of sin is a picture of the old world system that you have to go through in life now, but there's absolutely nothing there for you. Amen. The water was bitter. The sun was hot. They're in an arid desert where there's no rain. It was terrible. They didn't have any food. And it's such a picture of you and I after we get saved. This old world will always be an adversity to us. But what did God do? He did the same thing with them as he did with us. He brought down the manna from heaven. Picture of the word of God in your life. He supernaturally fed them in a wilderness journey, just like in our wilderness journey, he supernaturally feeds us with the word of God. When he didn't have any water, he brought water out of the rock. The water is a picture of the word of God, and he gave that water to them supernaturally. And all through that journey through the wilderness, it's such a picture of, of what God did for Israel as God's son, but... Boy, it's also a picture of what God did for me. And it's a picture of what God did for all of us. You know, you every step of the way, God was with them and led them. He led them by a, a pillar of fire at night. He led them by a cloud of smoke during the day. When they traveled, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that Ark of the Covenant, whenever they moved, the Ark was always out in front. The whole nation of Israel followed that Ark wherever God led them to go. That's a picture of your life and my life, being following the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he wants us to go. Oh, the parallels, uh, they're so unbelievable. God's hand of protection in their life. They journeyed for 40 years. 
they, they, they go through everything. A couple of Thursday nights ago, we talked about when we studied the pillar, one of the seven pillars was the nation of Israel. We saw the many ways that God likens his relationship to the nation of Israel. We saw, I remember I took you in Matthew chapter 21 where you had the story of the householder. And I showed you how that it was a picture of what God had done with Israel. And the Bible says the householder, who's a picture of God, established a vineyard. That's the nation of Israel. And then he goes on in that parable and he tells us that God took that vineyard. He hedged it round about. He digged a wine press and he built a tower. Now, I don't have time to go into all three of those today, but I'll tell you what those three things represent. They represent God's protection for the nation of Israel. He just didn't bring them out and establish them and, and let them fend for themselves. No, he brought them out to establish them for a purpose, and then he gave them everything they needed to protect them, just like he has done for, for you and me. God protecting Israel as she grew. Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 2, is another great picture. There it says, Thou shalt grow up before him as a tender plant. Now, I understand that prophetically that's talking about Christ, but historically that's talking about the nation of Israel. A plant growing up, tender, can be killed by the sun, killed by the drought, has to have enough sunlight, has to have enough water, has to have everything to grow properly. And God was liking the nation of Israel to that tender plant. And God was giving them everything they needed in the right proportion to make sure they grew the way God wanted them to do, grow. All through the Old Testament, you find in God dealing with Israel, you'll find the phrase, and his tender mercies. That's one of the most beautiful illustrations in the Bible, wherever you find it. God's tender mercies toward the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, there's another great picture. It says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. It's a picture of God as a mother eagle looking over her baby eagles, the nation of Israel. We saw a couple of Thursday nights ago, Israel is God's wife. And I gave you all of the verses that show how God, as a faithful husband, as a loving husband, meets every need of Israel. And yet when it comes to the New Testament and us as God's people, the great thing about all of those analogies that we can apply every one of them spiritually to our lives. It just wasn't about the nation of Israel. Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, that all the things that happened to the nation of Israel, all the things that God brought them through, all the struggles they had, everything that they went through tells us in that great chapter that they were for our examples and for our examples and for our admonition. We're to learn from them. And you can look back and you can see God's hand and protection in the nation of Israel. And yet... You can apply those things to your own life. Bible says that every hair on your head is numbered. God has an easier time counting it on some of us than he does others, but, but uh, every hair on your head is numbered. The Bible says that not a sparrow falls to the ground, that God doesn't know about it and see it. And his love for us is an everlasting love that will endure all things. You know, I, I've told you many times that the book of Song of Solomon is probably for me as a Christian. And a lot of this today I'm going to talk about, I, I hope it impacts your life, but it was very clear to me as I was preparing this this week that I needed this message much more probably than anybody here. 
if it gets into your life and does something for you, I'm glad. But you're going to find much of this is directed to me. Much of this is about what I need to do and, and keep myself on track. But the book of Song of Solomon, you know, no book lays out how much Christ loves me more than the book of Song of Solomon. We talk about the love of Christ. Christians talk about it all the time. But I won't be honest with you. Very few Christians really understand the true love that God has for us. You know why that is? Because they don't understand that book of Song of Solomon. We see it all the time. We see that and we get caught up in the love of God. And that's such a used talking point today. We think God loves everything. We think Christ is in everything. You know, and I've told you this before, you know, it's a, you know, when you think about Christ, when you think about Christ, you know, you realize that the only thing Christ cares about and the only thing Christ worries about and the only thing Christ wants to have anything to do with it is you and me. You see a guy out there that makes the touchdown and he throws the ball down and he gets on his knees and he thanks God. You think God cares about a touchdown? You think God cares about what really what goes on in this world? Listen to me, folks. God cares about one thing. Christ cares about one thing. All Christ wants to do all day long, 24-7, is one thing. He doesn't worry about this. He doesn't worry about that. He's not worried about the United Nations. He's not worried about the Ukraine. He's not worried about the economic disasters. He's not worried about who's president, who's not president. He's worried about one thing and one thing only, having a relationship with you and me. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And, and the reason why so many of God's people don't understand that, they don't understand the book of Song of Solomon. Not only does the book of Song of Solomon tell me how God looks at me so I can understand it, because one of the biggest problems Christians have today, and I deal with it all the time, especially young Christians. Some older Christians have a problem too when they don't grow the way they should. But the biggest problem God's people have today is they don't really see themselves the way God sees them. They really don't know who they are in Christ. And the only way you're going to really understand that is to understand when God looks at you what he thinks. The only way you're going to know that is that you realize that God's focus is not on this over here or world events over here or world stuff like that. You say, what about Israel? That's God dealing with Israel. That's his side of the fence. That's his wife. Christ's not dealing with Israel. God dealing with Israel. Christ is dealing with you and me. That's all he wants. And that great book not only tells me as a child of God how he loves me, but it's very clear of how I should love him back. And I, 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 I want to tell you, I, I, this, is a, I, I, this is a sad message today. It, it, it is. It's a sad message. It really is. Hey, you remember how it was when you found that really special person in your life? How at some point in your life you found that person that, that you either wound up marrying or at that particular point you thought you were going to marry. And, uh, you know, remember how it was or even how it is today. I mean, that's, that person was all you could think about. Other things that were important got put aside. You know, when you were a teenager growing up and you had your first love, you didn't eat much. And your mom and dad would say, are you sick? You're not eating your dinner. Oh, I'm fine. You were sick, all right. You were love sick. Remember how it was? Other things got put on the back burner. 
You found now the love of your life where before you used to run out and play ball with the guys. Now they don't, you call me up. Nah, I, I got I to gotta go over to so-and-so's house. Come on, man, we got to play some ball. No, no, I, 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 I got to go do something else. Remember? Sure you do. Used to hang out with the guys or used to hang out with the girls, and now you don't hang out with them anymore. You're hanging out with that special person in your life. You talk all day on the phone if you can. You text all day on the phone if you can. I had, this was before they had the family plan with their phones, and I know why they did the family plan, because they, they realized that people in love just make phone calls all day long. I had one kid one time, his dad brought him in to me years ago. He was so upset. His son had gotten this girlfriend, and she was a nice gal. He was a nice kid. But you know how it is when, when love bites you? The phone bill was $600 for his phone. Hey, don't laugh. I've seen people at the end of the month, 1,000 texts in a month. Now, you're not eating either. You figure it out. I, I, I don't, you're either not eating or not going to the bathroom. I don't know what you're doing. Oh, boy. Love for sale when love's in the air, man. You remember you just wanted to spend every day together, every hour, every minute? That relationship that you uh, have been always waiting for has finally arrived, and it absolutely consumes you. I see it all the time. I've seen it all my life. Now, let me ask you something. Imagine a moment for a moment of time and ponder for a moment. Why have you never had that type of total consuming with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Why is it that somebody in a physical form can captivate you and take you off this planet and get you off the ground and your head in a cloud somewhere, but the one who came down and died for you, who every day of your life has one desire, and that is, and his phone bill don't cost anything, and all that does the Texas. He just wants to spend every waking moment with you. I, I, I got a sad story to tell you today. I do. You know, the Bible's many things. Bible's a great history book. All history of the world revolves around the Bible as far as I'm concerned. Bible's a great book that shows you why we believe what we believe. Bible's a great book on prophecy, shows you what is going to come down the line someplace. Bible is a great book to show you how you can get rid of your sin and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, for you and me who are saved, and I love the Bible for history because I love history. I love the Bible for what Christ is coming back because I want him to come back. But you know, the greatest thing for you and for me after we're saved that the Bible represents the Bible represents 66 love letters that God wrote you. I, I can't imagine that God's people who took God's salvation, many of them will wind up at the rapture and have never read those love letters one time. It's a sad message I must bring to you today. And I, I, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm preaching this to me. 
Last week, we saw in chapter 5, verse 17, where <clears throat> it was talking about the things that God gave us, and it said, let them only be thy own. The concept of your heart being the jewelry box that every woman has in her bedroom where she puts all of the special things that, that the man that she loves or, or the person that she loves puts those things, gave her, whether it be her mother or her father or, or somebody in her life, and she keeps them there because she goes there and she wants all of those special memories in one place. Well, for you and for me as the child of God, that jewelry box should be our heart. There we'll find the things that he and he alone gave me and you. That are the things that I cherish and you cherish, and every one of them is so special. You ponder them. You look at them. You think about where you were in life when he gave you exactly that that you needed, the special things that God gives me and God gives you through his son till we all get together again. Now, today I, I want to I read for you chapter 5, verses 20 through 23 of the book of Proverbs. And by my way of thinking, based on chapter 5 and what we've seen so far, I think this is one of the saddest messages in all of the Bible. And I, I'm not going to preach this to you today. I'm really not. I'm really not. This is not a message that you preach. I, there, this, is, this is one of the saddest things in all of the Bible. You know, in the Bible, there's some really sad things that that, that move me when I read them. I think about Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, where one of the great verses that it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody comes up to him and he says, how'd you get the wounds in your hands and your feet? And instead of saying, well, the enemies, you know, the world, the this or that, did this to me. You know what he says? He says, I was wounded in the house of my friends. That's sad. You ever had your friends hurt you? Someone that you did everything for and you did everything there and you were always there and, and uh, you know, you, you gave of your time, you gave of your life, you, you invested in them and all of those things and then they turn around and they do you wrong and they hurt you. You know how that feels? Now, now let me just clarify it. We deserve that because we're all sinners. And I'm sure I've hurt people just like people have hurt me. Well, I'm not feeling sorry for myself in that statement. I expect it, but not the Lord. Not the Lord. If anybody had a reason to stand there and have their heart broken because he came to the nation of Israel, he came unto his own and his own received him not, and he gave them everything that I already mentioned to you, and then he stands there with wounds in his hands and his feet. And somebody says, gee, Lord, how'd you get those? And he simply looks and says, I was wounded in the house of my friends. There's some sad things in the Bible. There's some sad things in the Bible. I think it shows after what we have seen the last couple of months in the book of Proverbs and how our continued refusal to allow God to be part of our life Oh, I will allow God to be part of my life as long as it's on my terms, see? As long as I get the upper hand and get to keep it. 
Oh, I'll allow God to, yeah, God, you can have my life as long as I can still keep control of this, 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 this. And when you're all done thising, there ain't nothing left for him to keep. I think it's one of the this one of the saddest part passages in the Bible. Jesus. I mean, the only man who never did anything to anybody and did everything for everybody, yet nobody wants to love him back with the same love that he gave us. That same total commitment. There's a new movie out now that's stirred everybody. God is not dead. I've gotten more texts in the last two weeks about this great movie. Haven't seen it. Don't plan to see it because I think going to run Band of Brothers again. But <clears throat> movies like that are like the Passion of the Christ. Every once in a while, somebody will put a movie out, and, and I, I got more texts this week that you should see this. Everybody should see this. This will challenge uh, us. We need more people to stand for God. This was such a great thing. Da 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 da. da. And I'm thinking to myself. Have we lost our minds? I had a book long before the movie came out that was my motivation for me serving God. I know he's not dead. I just talked to him this morning. What is wrong with us? We don't read the Bible. We don't seriously get into it. We don't do anything for God. And then some idiot puts out a movie about somebody standing up for God. Hello, where you been the rest of your life? That's our job. I don't know why you haven't been. The fact that somebody made a movie of somebody doing it doesn't take away of where have you been? Guy one time when the crucifixion, one of those movies came out, they said, oh, man, this will move you. Move me? You go to Job chapter 30, that'll move you. You go to Psalm 16, that'll move you. You go to Isaiah 52, 53, Isaiah 50, that'll move you. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner like everybody else. I lied to you. I said I wasn't going to preach. No, no, no. This is too sad to preach. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says that we as God's people, you and me, saved people, not an unsaved person, a saved person, we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. Say, what is that, Bob? It's simply loving something or someone more than you love God. The word love is such a cheap word today. I mean, I understand how you can find Miss Beautiful or Mr. Wonderful, and because they're all you wanted in life and you look for it and you want to be with somebody, I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. I I mean, I I don't... I'm not justifying loving that more than God, but I, I do understand that when you have a flesh and blood body there and God is a spirit, that if you don't have all your ducks in a row, it's easy to go that way because you can see that person, you can talk to that person. Not that you can't God, but you know where I'm going. 
Well, we as God's people today, we love things that can't love us back. Some of God's people love their lawns more than they love God. Do you know that? All you got to do is, I got my problems in life, but all you got to do is look at my lawn. You know that ain't one of them. (laughs) I got my problems, but it ain't that one. We use the word love today because it's been so cheapened. Here we are, God's people can't love the one who loved us beyond belief, but we love this dress. We love these shoes. I love this house. I love that car. I love that boat. I love that shotgun. I love this. I love that. How stupid is it to love things that does not have the ability to love us back? And yet all the one who died for us, who loved us, who waits every day when you get up, when I get up, for the first words out of our mouth, to start that conversation all day long, and we just, we don't. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. I think sometimes down here, God watches us saying, well, looking at that new car we got or that new truck, or whatever it is, new boat, new whatever it is, and we say, man, I love that, I love that. God's standing up there just shaking his head and said, what did that truck ever do for you? What did that house ever do for you? You love this dress, and then you're going to go around asking your husband if it makes you look fat. <laughs> and you're going to cause him to stumble and lie. <laughs> the Word of God covers a multitude of sins. Now look at Proverbs chapter 5 here for a few moments. Let's look at verse 20 to 23. I think this is just really sad. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the waves of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His iniquity shall be shall take the wicked himself, and shall be holden of the cords of his sin. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Now, Father, I, I need this today probably more than anybody. But I know that there's the reality of that is there's others here that need it too. But Lord, I, I, I need to say some things today and I don't want anybody here to think that I'm saying it to them. I'm saying it to me. If the Holy Spirit of God takes it and puts it on them, then that's okay with me. But that's not what I'm looking for today. I, I'm looking for a reevaluation of, of this great chapter. And you know, the, 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 the sad part of this, Lord, or the good part or the bad part, however you want to look at it, is that these people only have to hear this message once. I've been through it 50 times this week. And every time, Lord, it, it reaffirmed in my own heart, in my own life, Lord, that some things that we all need to look at, but I need to look at. So help us today. Lord, we give it to you. We love you. We know that you love us. Help us, help me never to forget all that you've done for me. 
And I can't speak that for anybody else, but I can speak it for me. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now look at verse 20. Doesn't that just break your heart? And why wilt thou, my son, be ravaged with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? I mean, God's asking a question. He's safely saying here, after all I've done for you, after all God has done for me, for us, after all God has given me, us, all that he did to love us, to die for us, how he nurtured me, how he protected me, how he cared for me. First Peter 5, casting all your care upon him for he cared for you. How he orchestrated in our lives every circumstance to get me, us, you, to him. He's saying, why? It's a question. Why? He, he did all that so he could love us and take care of us the rest of our lives. He did that because he wanted to be with us in an intimate way. He wanted to be the first love of our life. He wanted to be faithful to us and wanted us to be faithful to him. And yet, we'll so easily take all his goodness and enjoy all his blessings lavish in his salvation and just trade him then for what we really want to do without him being in our life. It's a sad thing today. Listen, it broke God's heart. It broke God's heart. And if you don't know this, then you're getting in the back door the wrong way. It broke God's heart to separate himself from his son for you and for me. Bible says that Christ was the apple of God's eye. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He said, he was one like the grown up before me like a tender plant. Prophetically. And for him to take his son and allow the world to do to his son what they did. To make fun of him. To make sport of him. To smack him in the face. To rip out his beard by the hands full. To whip him and to put a 300 pound cross on his back. And spit on him and laugh at him. I guarantee you, probably by the time when they hung him on that cross... And they're laughing and saying, if thou be the son of God, come on down. And they're shooting the dice for his clothes. God's watching that. It broke God's heart. It's the day that God looked over on the right hand of the throne and his son was gone. And in my own mind, and the way I see this, and the way I want to see this, I believe that when that Roman soldier who wanted to show off with his buddies because he wanted to get this over because he probably had a hot date down in the city someplace. Picked up that spear and rammed it into his side. I think God's hand was raised to send down a legion of angels that would have wiped off the face of this planet for what they did to his son. But as God's hand went up, God remembered Bob Alexander would have went to hell for the rest of his life. Forget you. You got to claim that for yourself. But he saw me and my sin without a Savior. 
And that is the only thing in my mind that stopped God's hand from shutting it down. If you can't claim that for yourself, you're in a sorry state this morning. I guarantee you, Easter. Next week is Easter. Yeah, that's what we do. We have one day a year that we have a day we talk about him dying for us. One day. Isn't that big of us? One day we'll stop our busy schedules for a while. One day we'll put aside for a while. And one day of our life, a year, we'll go in there and we'll reflect on what he did for us and then walk out the door and go right back to doing what we were doing before and forget about it. That's modern-day Christianity. I guarantee you, it breaks God's heart when I, as a child of God, when we, as God's people, will ravish ourselves with the things of this world but we'll never ravish ourselves with the things of God. The Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3 has been called the church that made God sick. And I understand that concept. But I want to add to that, the Laodicean church, our church age, is also the church that breaks God's heart. I talked last week about seeing things come full circle in life. And understanding better why things are the way they are, why people are the way they are. And in my 63 years of walking this planet, over 40 of them preaching the gospel. If I've learned anything about God's people over the years, it's the fact that some of them are the most selfish, self-centered folks on planet earth. If I've learned anything, it's that God's people, some of them, can be the most thankless people on this planet. And if I've learned anything, God's people, some of them, can be the most unforgiving people on this planet. Oh, they will take God's forgiveness for themselves and their sins, but they'll never give that same grace to anybody else. You know, in the Bible, the word infirmity is a word that says there's something wrong with us spiritually. When you go to the hospital in the military or the Navy, anyhow, they call it the infirmary. The word infirmity in the Bible is a problem that we have. And the Bible lists three main infirmities that I have and that you have. We all have them. And these infirmities will always lead for us to take God's salvation. Yes, we'll get saved, but then we'll say, I'll take your salvation, but I'll reject him when it comes to changing my life. And then I'll embrace the bosom of the strange woman. You know what he asked today? Why would you do that, Bob? Why would you do that? You know, the bosom is a reference to the heart. Old Testament saints went to where? Abraham's what? Psalm 16 says it's in the heart of the earth. He's saying, Bob, 
After all I've done for you, Bob, after all I've given you, I've orchestrated everything in your life. I've done it. I died for you. I mean, all the stuff. Why, why, after everything I've done for you, why would you take your love and take it to the heart of a strange woman? God, in verse 20, he's asking that question. He says, why would you do that, Bob, after all I've done for you? How could you, Bob? Why would you? Why would you leave me for her, the strange woman who pretends to love me but really doesn't? You know, in the Old Testament, with Israel as God's wife, that was the main message of the prophets. Did you ever read it? That was the message that Ezekiel preached. That was the message that Jeremiah preached. That was the message that Hosea and Isaiah preached, all of them. And when we get into the New Testament where we are the bride of Christ, that's the message that needs to be preached today. Now, these three infirmities that man has are the key reason why we have issues and we leave our first love. Notice I didn't say we lose it. I said we leave it. Now, I'm not going to get into these in heavy today, but... The first one's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And that's the one, our first infirmity, the Bible says we don't know how to pray right. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, in any relationship, whether it's on this planet or whether it's with you and God, the first breakdown that always leads to different problems or other problems is the problem of communication. Many parents, many marriages today don't ever, never even get there to start with. They have no clue. It's such a mess today and things that go on that they don't even have, they, they, they get married without any communication. But the first breakdown in any relationship is going to be its communication. And most of God's people never have learned how to pray. You see, communication with God is simple. When we read the Bible, God speaks to us. But when we pray within the Bible structure, then we talk with Him. And we take prayers and we offer them to God, but they're always based on the structure of the principles that guide us what we say. But you see, we've lost that today. I, I, I'm not sure that we have ever even had it. You see, today prayer for us is an order form. Today prayer for us is a 911 call. When the doctor comes in and gives us a bad report, then we take it that we call God. You see, when all the things that go wrong in our life, that's when we get a hold of God. We use prayer to order things from God, to tell God what we want. We never use it to see what God really wants for us. We pray, oh God, change my circumstances. We never pray, God, change my life through these circumstances. This is sad.
I'd say the number one issue today is we simply biblically don't know how to pray, according to Romans 8, 26. Second infirmity. And like I said, I'm not preaching on these today. I've got a ways to go here and some things to say. Romans 6, 19, we are flesh. He says in Romans 6, 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness unto the iniquity of, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now we know that when you got saved, you now have an old nature and a new nature. That old nature is your flesh. Romans chapter 7, Paul had it too. He talked about it. He simply said, you know what? The things that I want to do that are right, I don't do. And the things that are the wrong things that I shouldn't do, I do do. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? He struggled with it too. And it's simply yielding your members, the body God gave you to serve him. My arms, my legs, my hands, the mind God gave me. And taking all of that and simply making them the servants of uncleanliness. Now, this is not our message today, but the Bible shows you very clearly the process. I've taught it over and over and again in different ways, in different areas. The path, the process of overcoming the flesh. The process to now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness, not to the things of this world. Third infirmity, Psalm 77.10. And this is we forget God and what he's done for us. Verse 10 says, And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. Now this one's a killer. It's simply forgetting and not remembering all that God has done for you. And it can happen to all of us happens to me. We just get so caught up in the other things. And not all of them are bad. And we lose our perspective. We lose our focus. We lose the landmarks of what God has done for us. And then we get to that mode where we become complacent. We become lethargic. We become unthankful. We become selfish. We become self-centered. And then our life is all about our problems our life is all about what we want to do. It's all about all the busyness that we have. And whatever scraps we have left over, we throw to God like we do when we feed our dog. He says, verse 10, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. You remember the time, the way it was before you got saved? Remember the emptiness of that life? Remember the times you went to bed and just left the swingingest party you ever was at, but you were empty inside? You remember the times when you, you thought you were having fun, but when you got alone, there wasn't any fun to it? You looked down deep inside you, and you tried to fill that emptiness with all the booze and all the drugs and all the parties and all the wild living you can, and after you got yourself filled up to the brim, you were still as empty as you were before. Remember those days? Remember the days before God came down to your life and, and made the difference? When he was watching you, when he was 
moving the things in your life to get you to a place where you could hear the gospel when you and I didn't even know it. Verse 11 says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Now, remember the day God put somebody in your life to win you to Christ. The work of God getting you his salvation from the cross of Calvary where he died for you to the day you got saved. You see, it's a personal thing. When Christ died on the cross, he, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished was the work for you and for me to get our sins forgiven. And so the rest of time down through history, the Holy Spirit of God who shows up in Acts chapter 1, the Word of God which shows up by 90 A.D., and the church now in effect in Acts chapter 12 and 13, all begin to work together that every man and every woman gets to hear the message. That you don't have to be empty on the inside. There's a, there's a bright spot at the end of that tunnel if you want to go that way and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The world may be in darkness, but God will bring you into the light if you want to, the day God saved you. Then he says, verse 12, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doing. Now you see, that's, that's you thinking about what God has done and then telling other people about it. You know what's wrong with God's people today? 99% of them. We go through life as Christians, and you hear this all the time. We go through life as Christians telling other people what God will do for them. But the real message is not just what God will do for them, but the real message is what God has done for you. You know why God's people don't take that form? Because they have nothing to talk about. They've lost their families. Many of them have... Have, have had more problems than unsaved people have? How do you tell, how, how, do, you help some, how do you help some young family when struggling with their kids when your kids won't even come to church? You, you see, you, you, you get to the point in our lives, we get to the point where we, we, we don't have nothing to say. We, want it, we can only go and tell people, well, God will do this for you. God will do this for you. Oh, you're having problems here? God will do this for you. Didn't work for me, but it'll work for you. How ludicrous that is. You know why those things happen? Because we forget. We've forgotten. We forget what God has done for us. We get so busy with all the things that we get going on and do that we just forget the fact that all of these things God orchestrated in our lives. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember these things in my life and not honestly give God everything in my life. You can't. You tell me how you can really understand all of what I just said here in these things and then still keep your life for yourself. Give God the leftovers. Give him the scraps. Fill your life up with all you want to do. If there's any time left, well, I'll give God this or give God that as long as I get what I need, as long as I want to do what I want to do. I'll work God in somewhere. That's what we do. Look at verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his going. This, this is a sad message, man. 
Now, that's, a, that's talking that God's watching us and what we do with what he's given us. And he's pondering, why? This is the verse we started out with. Why? Why would, you, why would you take the love that I've given you and why would you give it, ravish it with a strange woman? And it, it's not talking about a literal woman. It's talking about what this world has to offer. That's God watching us and what we do with what he's given us and then pondering, thinking, saying to himself, why don't you love me back the same way I love you? Bob, why don't you do that? I've seen Christians all my life, not necessarily new baby Christians because they're learning the process. Older Christians, the ones that have been around long enough now that you've gotten stagnant, your life has come pretty much come full circle and it's very obvious where the disasters are and it's very obvious that something's wrong someplace and your life now has come full circle and you, you get frustrated, you get emotionally all caught up with the thing. You know why? Because end of the day, the reality has set in. I've seen Christians all my life stop growing after they got saved go on 20, 30 years, and yet just keep their life for themselves. Or they got so many problems in their family or plenty problems in their marriage or problems in all of this stuff because they haven't done what they needed to do that they can't ever get to God. If they'll do anything for God, it's when it's convenient for them. They'll give to God when it's in their time frame. The scraps of life that are useless and worthless, the leftovers. They'll go to church on Sunday morning where they're not too tired. They'll come on Thursday night, there's not a ball game on. And it's not that they're not saved. It's the fact that, that they're truly saved. They've taken God's salvation. But they won't want to be bothered with the service after the salvation. We got... I hate when this happens. It happens all the time in businesses. We got AT&T Internet. They must have called us 100,000 times wanting to sell us AT&T. I just got to keep them calling me. They called me 1,000 times. They told me how much faster it is. With No, we had AT&T. What did we get? We got Comcast. We had AT&T. How much faster it is. How much better it is. How that AT&T, you know, is worthless. It's slow. It's like a dinosaur. Get this, get this, get that, get this. They pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. They even said, you know what? You know, if you'll do it, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. We'll give you this over here. We'll give you free movie chat. I said, I don't want the movie chat. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. I said, I just, if you're going to do it, just come and do it. You're going to give me, save me a lot of money on my monthly bill. That's good. Come in and get it done. They put a stupid cable in my yard. It's been there now for four or five months. Squirrels are chewing on it. Dogs love it. God only knows when, when summertime comes and i got to cut the grass how many times I'm going to run over that sucker. So I, we, we called them. When are you going to bury our cable? Now, look, they, they pushed us to get it done. But it's four months, five months later, they hadn't even turned in a work order yet. They said, who are you? 
My point is this. It's the service after the sale that counts. Are you with me on that? Are you sure? Because you ain't going to like this. Are you sure? Well, when it comes to God, it's the service after the salvation that counts. Told you you wouldn't like it. People who get saved, take God's salvation and then keep one thing that God saved them for and needs their life to be a helpmeet and just keep it to themselves. Nothing for God will be ever be a priority, but oh, brother, when we want to go here, we want to go here, we're going to do that. Boy, there's the priority. This is a sad chapter. This passage shows how after God and all that he does for me, just like he did for Israel. He sits there and ponders why I would do him the way I do. Now that's got to break God's heart. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody does. I don't. You know, we, we, you pour your life into somebody, you give them this, you give them that, you help them, you f- help do everything for their life, and, you know, they turn, and in one split second, they get a better deal, and they're gone, and they don't even say thank you. They don't even say, I'm leaving, I'm going. They're just out of here. Sometimes it's deception. They're just gone and all those things. And you sit there, and you shake your head, and you said, what in the world just happened? No, I got to preface, or not preface, but I got to put a postscript on that. See, I deserve that because I'm a sinner just like they are. I've probably done the same thing to other people. So I'm not saying that to feel sorry for myself or to say that, oh, poor, you know, that's the way it is. I'm just telling you this. I can understand you doing it to me because I get the chance. I'll do it to you. But God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one who gave up everything for me and I'll give up only what I don't want and let him have the rest, the leftovers of life? Back in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, it's very clear that Israel had broken God's heart. He's up there overlooking the city of Jerusalem one night and he's heartbroken over the the indifference of the nation of Israel to him coming as their Messiah. And he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou hast killed and slain the prophets. O Jerusalem, God has over you like a mother hen taking care of you and all that you've done. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Broke his heart. Yet in spite of that, he went on to the cross He went on to the cross for them as a nation, but also for you and for me as his bride. And don't ever think for a moment of time that we can't break his heart. We know that he got hungry when he was here. He wept when Lazarus died. He got tired. He fell asleep in the boat. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that I have a high priest that can be touched with my infirmities. He has feelings just like we have feelings. If he didn't have feelings, then he couldn't love us with the intensity that he loves us. Yet the Bible says he's without sin. Now look at verse 22. In his own 
in his own, well, I, I cut that word, what's the word there? Iniquity. In his own shall he take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Now, that's a great verse because it tells me that we get taken in our own iniquity. Bible says God tempts no man with evil. We get taken on our own iniquity when we don't do what's right. Now that verse tells me as a Christian with life living on planet earth, I need somebody who knows more about life than I do. As a pastor, I need people in my life who know some things that I don't know. Most pastors, they want to project that they can handle everything. They know everything. They'll do everything. That ain't me, pal. I know my limitations. There's things that I do well, and there's things that I do terribly. But I've been smart enough to learn to find the people around you to do the things that you don't do well and have them do them for you. Delegate it out. But I understand uh, that we all need somebody in our life who knows more about things than we do. I need Somebody like Gary, who knows about cars. Because when my car breaks down, I'm ready to sell it. I have no clue what's wrong with it. I can pop the hood and look under that thing like you do, you know, and I look at that thing and I say to myself, well, there's the problem, an engine. <laughs> I've always loved the guys and marveled at the guys that can, when a woman's stuck along the road, freeway someplace, he walks up there, you know, and he's got the school in his back pocket and he's got his hat and he's got a greasy old suit on work, and he says, well, pop the hood, hon. He popped that thing up and looked down in there, and he says, you got a screwdriver? She says, yes, I do. Give him that screwdriver. He sticks that screwdriver down there and says, try it now, and it starts. I tried that one time, blew that screwdriver in half, burnt my hand. I don't know what he touched. I need somebody in my life who knows more about cars than I do. I need someone in my life who knows about more appliances when they go bad than I do. I'm the only guy in the world when I live by myself, my washing machine quit. I called the Baytag repairman because he don't do nothing anyhow. I brought him over there. I, this was many, many years ago. I paid $40 to learn on a service call that you got to close the lid before it will start. <laughs> I need help. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I need help growing grass. <laughs> I can't grow grass for to save my life. If I had to get the grow grass to go to heaven, I'd burn in hell for all of eternity. <laughs> Every year, I put it down. I go to the guy. You know, you, always, you go to the hardware store, True Value, and there's always a guy in a red smock there, and he says, can I help you? And I plead my case. I got a yard. It's bare with grass. I'm trying to fix it. I want some grass that when I put it down at two, it'll be up by four. What do I do? I want the fastest grass, the strongest grass that'll, that, that'll outlive two labs running up and down on it and tearing it up. And they always give me this. They always walk me back and say, well, this here is the best you can put down and this and that. And I buy it. I put it down. It goes nowhere. Birds feast on it. There are so many things in life that I know absolutely nothing about. I'm lost. And I need people who know to help me. And brother, when it comes to life and the issues of life, 
with its pitfalls, its snares, its traps. I need somebody who knows more about life on planet earth than I do. And that's God in this book. He knows all the traps. He's the ancient of days. He knows that if I'm left to myself to figure it out in my own stupidity, it'll take me down. I'll get a stronghold in my life. I'll be bound with the cord there that he talks about. Proverbs 5.12 says, holding with the cords of his sin. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. We saw the example with Samson where he, his sin bind him, his sin blinded him, and then his sin grounded him. That's me. And that's also you. We need somebody in life who knows about more life and the issues of life than we do. Then he says in verse 23, this is sad, man. Yet I have seen this all my life. He shall die without instruction. You know, it's, it's hard to grasp a child of God going through life totally without any of God's instruction in his life because he took salvation, but he or she will just absolutely refuse to give God anything meaningful in their life other than what is convenient in their time frame? Rejecting everything that God has done and die without any instructions on life and the issues of life. But I've seen it all the time. I've seen them die as a dope addict, all because they wouldn't listen to anybody. I've seen them die as an alcoholic when they're 40 years old, 50 years old, life cut short. I've seen them die because of, of, all, of, the, uh, of all of the things that they put in their body. I've seen them die addicted to gambling. I've seen them die addicted to the, to the world that God saved them from. I see it happen all the time. And as the verse says, it simply starts by, in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. We just think we know more about life than God does. I have a lot of parents that have teenagers over the years. And when those kids reach a certain age, you know, 16 or 17 years old, they always begin to challenge authority, and that's when you got to you got to put the pedal to the metal. But I don't know how many times I've heard talking to a, a teenager where he thought or she thought they knew more about life than mom and dad did. And that is absolutely ridiculously not true. And I've seen mom and dad struggle with that. I've seen mom and dads and kids go round and round and round on that where the parent would try to get their kid to understand that the parent, because they are older and been around a little more in life, that they absolutely do know more about life on planet Earth than that 17, 16, 18-year-old does, and that is true. But let me tell you something. I've seen the parents do the same thing when it comes to the Word of God and the Bible, that they think they know more about life and living their life than God does. That's the way it works. Sad, isn't it? It simply starts with us taking God's salvation and then forgetting all that he's done for us. I, I thought all week long in my own personal life, you know, 
I, I, I think the, the saddest thing for me and my own personal relationship with God, after all God has done for me and all God has given me and all God's blessings in my life and God's hand in my life through some of the real stupid things in my life, for God to stand there and shake his head and look at me and say, Bob, after all I've done for you, after all the plans I had for you. It's like a parent. It's like a parent. I don't think any parent raising a child wants that child to grow up to be a drunken bum or a drug addict or a drug dealer. I bet you many of parents have stood there and shook my head and say, this is not what I had planned for you. And my greatest fear is God standing there and looking at me and shaking his head and says, Bob, that's not what I had planned for you. I orchestrated everything in your life. I gave you everything I had for you to be everything that I wanted you to be. Why, Bob? Why? Why did you ravish the bosom of that strange woman? Why did you take to you the things of the world and give everything I've given you, everything I've created you for, the love to her? Why did you not love me back the same intensity? Why could you not be consumed with me as the same as you're consumed with everything else out there? That's a tough question to answer. This is a sad sermon. This is a sad message. And I preach this to me today. But it obviously is all true for all of us. But I can't claim this for you. I can't make this mean anything for you. I can only make it mean something for me. Somebody said one time, a, a life with God is endless hope. Boy, that is so true. A life with God is endless hope. It's endless of all that God will do for you, with you, <clears throat> what he wants to give you. And it's true that a life with God is endless hope. But it's also true that a life without God is always a hopeless end. Because it's a dead-end street. It leads to nowhere. It leads you down the path to the strange woman and the evil man. It'll put you in that same boat where you'll give all that God has given to you and you'll start ravishing the things of this world instead of ravishing God. It'll go to you that you'll go through all of your life <clears throat> and never have read all 66 love letters that God wrote you. It'll be that you went through your life and you never detailed out the Song of Solomon like we did a couple of years ago on New Year's Eve and the book's back there. And it's a, it, it ought to be the bestseller of all that we have because it's the one book that not only tells you what God wants to, how he wants to look at you and how he wants to love you, but details out how he wants you to love him. There comes a time in our lives when we have to face the reality if what we have with God is real. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about <clears throat> the everyday events in your life. Is he the first and foremost thing that we wrap our world around? Is he the first thing in the morning, the last thing at night, and everything in between? That's the key. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed.